You're listening to the eFree Lethbridge Podcast. Well, church, this is my friend, Olivia. She's going to read scripture for us. Olivia, what grade are you in again? Um, grade five. Grade five. The prophecy of Simeon. At the time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, who was righteous and devout, and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, baby Jesus to the Lord, as law required. Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Serve again, Lord. Now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. The prophecy of Anna. Anna a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from, tri- from the tribe Asher. She was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. She lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there at night, worshiping God fasting with fasting and pl- prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. She began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Amen. This is the word of the Lord, church. Thanks be to God. Great reading. Well, as you have probably noticed, this happens after Jesus is born. So this event happens after the first Christmas. And nobody really knows too much about Simeon and Anna because the reality is most people don't come to church on the Sunday following Christmas (laughs) when this event takes place. So what a privilege it is to talk about Simeon and Anna, kind of these forgotten characters. We've we've talked about this series being the outsiders, the forgotten ones, the, the characters that aren't in the nativity but play such a central role in Jesus' story. Something I didn't notice about the text before that Luke, the gospel writer, does as he introduces Jesus to the world. He does this. It's the interaction between the old and the young. Right? We've noticed this. Luke is drawing attention to the age of the old. Chapter 1, verse 7, Zechariah and Elizabeth were very old. Chapter 2, verse 36, we just read it. It says Anna was very old. Chapter 2, verse 26, we, introduced, we are introduced to Simeon. Now let me die in peace. Simeon probably died before the end of the chapter. <laughs> he was very old too. And Luke has been kind of contrasting the very old with who? With the baby and with the teenager Mary and the 20-something Joseph. What is Luke starting to point at here? 
that the old era is passing away and the new era has come. More specifically, the era of the law is passing away, represented by these law-abiding Jewish people. The era of the law is passing away, and the era of the king, the new era of King Jesus, the reign of Jesus has come. Again, as I just said, the old era, people were defined by the law. They were law people, and we see it here. We see it in our text. Verse 21 to 23, Mary and Joseph came to fulfill what? The requirement of the law. Right, Simeon, he was devout. What does it mean to be devout? It means that he took the law very seriously. He was committed to the law. So you see the law referenced several times in our text, but then we also start seeing another person start appearing in this early narrative. Not only with Mary and Joseph, but now with Simeon. And who is it? It's the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Verse 27, on this day the Spirit led Simeon to the temple. What did the prophet Joel promise about the new era? The king would come and would reign and the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all people. Joel chapter 2 verse 28. So Simeon is almost like this hybrid character here. He, he, he represents the old era, the law yet begins to experience the new era led and filled by the Holy Spirit. Because of the new era, the era of the king, God's people are no longer going to be identified by the law, but by the presence and filling of the Holy Spirit. The new identity of the people of God is the king and his spirit. Hmm. Something very important I think Luke wants to draw our attention to in this text as the old passes away and as the new enters. Here it is. There is no conflict. There is no conflict. There is only fulfillment. There is no conflict. There is only fulfillment, embrace, and excitement. Simeon took the child in his arms and he praised God. Verse 38, Anna began praising God when she met the child and she talked about the child to everyone. It is fitting, church, that we are gathered today on the third Sunday of Advent, which represents what? Joy. And we get to look at this story of two very old folks that are overwhelmed with joy at the presence and the appearing of the new era. The old is gone and the new has come. And church, I believe that this opening interaction puts a call on my life and I think puts a call on your life as the people of God. And, and here it is. Embrace and encourage the young in their faith. Call my life, call on your life as a church. Embrace and encourage the young in their faith. And I'm talking about to all of us, not just our seniors, but to our high school students and our young adults and our, and our adults. Why? Because there is always someone behind you. There is always someone coming up behind you. And too often, friends, the church grows old. We resist change. We become stuck in our ways of doing things. And indirectly or directly, we force out the young. 
And today more than ever, the church, meaning me and you, must continue to turn toward the young, to encourage the young, to listen to the young, to embrace the young. Simeon and Anna blessed and welcomed the young with incitement, excitement. May that, may that continue to be spoken of us at Ephraim. Amen. May that continue to be spoken of us at Ephraim, known as a church that is growing young. Yes. Not at the expense of the old. Not at the expense of the old, but because of the old. The church is growing young. Why? Because of the old. Because God continues to raise up Simeons and Annas here to embrace and get excited about the young. It's because of the young that our church is growing. Sorry, because of the old that our church is growing young. May that be so of Ephraim. Amen, church? May God continue to raise up Simeon and Annas. I got to tell you, friend, Simeon's death here, it inspires me. How Simeon leaves the world, it inspires me. I want to die like Simeon. Number one, the text shows us that Simeon, he's ready to go. He knows where he's going. He's finished the purpose that God gave him. And he has this beautiful peace. Now let your servant depart in peace. Simeon's ready to go. He knows where he's going. He knows what he's finished. And the second thing, Simeon goes out blessing the next generation, blessing the people behind him. I pray that when I leave, I will simply be pointing the people around me to the reality of Jesus Christ. What a way to go. Blessing those behind him in their faith. It inspires me. All this to say that in the opening chapters, Luke, the gospel writer, he's revealing this interaction between the old and the young, and he's showing us that the old has passed, the era of the law has passed, and the new has come, the era of the king and the primary identifying marker of the new era is who? It is the Spirit of God. And that Spirit who was present with Simeon called him to do two things when he meets Jesus. Two things Simeon does when he meets Jesus. Number one, he announces Jesus' identity. Some call this the Song of Simeon. It's his first paragraph, verse 29 to 32. The song of Simeon. He announces Jesus' identity. And then the second thing he does is he predicts Jesus' future. And that's verse 33 to 35. He predicts Jesus' future. So let's look at the first thing he does. He announces Jesus' identity, verse 29 to 32. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. For I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Again, Simeon is announcing Jesus' identity. What did God promise to Simeon? Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. What did God promise to him? Verse 26 says this. 
the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would not die till he sees the Lord's Messiah. The word Messiah just simply means God's promised one. Messiah, God's promised one. He is sent to save God's people. Just like God acted to save Israel from slavery way back in Egypt, the people that believed that God would send another Moses, a Messiah, to come and set the people free. So Simeon starts announcing Jesus' identity by simply saying, this is that. This is that. This child is that promise. What's the promise? The promise that I only not only gave you, Simeon, but the promise that I gave all of Israel. And let me put something in front of us, church. Something that I don't think we can miss here. How did Simeon know this was that? Right? Jesus didn't have on his baby seat a sign that said Messiah, right? <laughs> Jesus didn't have that on his car seat, right? Messiah, no cars, but you understand, right? The, the, <laughs> the Holy Spirit revealed it to Simeon. Church, was it a coincidence that Simeon was there in the temple when Mary and Joseph were there in the temple? No. Verse 27, the Spirit led him to the temple. So hear this. In the new era, if you want to participate in what God is doing in the world, if you want a front row seat like Simeon and Anna had, then there is one person you need to tune into. It's not the news. It's not the world. It's not the best podcast. It is the Spirit of God. I think there's two postures that Simeon and Anna had and practiced that made it easy for the Spirit of God to speak and lead them. Two postures. Number one, Anna, it says this about Anna in verse 38. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with prayer and fasting. Church, if you want to see God move, learn to worship through prayer and fasting. And if you're like me, you know, you pray for a week, nothing happens, and then you move on. Well, so much for that. Anna prayed her whole life. It wasn't just a one-off thing. It was a way of life for Anna. She prayed her whole life waiting for God's answer, the text says. And she got to meet the one that everybody talked about and the one that, that God had promised to the world. Wow. I'm still convinced, my friends, that the most significant ministry in the church is Anna's ministry, the prayer ministry. Nothing is going to happen without prayer. If we want to see God's move, then we need to be posturing ourselves in prayer. What about the posture of Simeon? What, is, what does Simeon tell us? Well, well here's Simeon, who's, who's known as this devout guy. His first thing they say is, he was devout, right? Let, let me ask you this. Do you think of someone, when they're devout, that they're passive? Yeah, I'm devout, yeah. God's kind of important to me, yeah. Right, you, you think this is Simeon's posture? Yeah, yeah, God's a priority in my life, right? <laughs> 
Simeon had this hunger for God, right? He wanted to please God. God was priority to him. You know, church, back in the, in the summer, someone asked me, hey, Luke, what can I be praying for you specifically for? And I took some time just to think on that and to actually provide a real answer because there's a lot of things you could have been praying me for, but, but there was one I just felt like there's something here. And for me, it was just simply this, a renewed hunger for the things of God. Too easily distracted by things that don't really matter. And I just wanted the Holy Spirit just to put a new curiosity and hunger in my life for more of God. Friends, let me just tell you that God loves that posture of curiosity and hunger, the posture that Simeon had. And again, this isn't a formula. This isn't a formula. But Simeon and Anna postured their lives in a way that just simply made it easy for the Holy Spirit to lead them and move them. Which begs the question, is it easy for the Lord to move in my life? Huh? Am, am I posturing myself in a way that is just simply making it easy for the Holy Spirit to grab hold of my mouth and to grab hold of my heart? And I hope that question just rings in your mind as you go from here. Back to the text. Simeon announces the child, this is that, this baby, that promise. And then he says this, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. What is emphasized about, about Jesus' identity? Salvation, salvation, and all people. Friends, for Simeon and Anna, salvation was not abstract or theoretical. For the Jewish people, salvation was always linked to being saved and set free from captivity. God will one day send the Messiah to save us from our enemy, to set us free, to rescue us from oppression, to deliver us. If my chronological, oh man, how do you say that, Kylie? My chronology, am I starting off wrong? Say it. Chronology. I knew it too, and I was kind of practicing. I was like, man, that word always gets me. Okay, chronology. <laughs> I stumbled on it this morning too. If my chronic, <laughs> never mind. In 63 BC, Simeon and Anna were children when General Pompey of the Roman army invaded Jerusalem and looted the temple, killing many Jewish people. So church, there's a good chance that Simeon and Anna lost friends and family members in that invasion. And since then, they've been living under Roman occupation. And now you can understand why they're so pumped up about the baby Jesus. This isn't abstract or theological. We've been promised this our whole life. We've been living under this oppression our whole life. This baby has come to indeed set us free, finally. But then we just start seeing something else emphasized in this text. 
This salvation is for all people. It's to reveal God to all the nations. See, the salvation offered here is actually bigger than expected. It isn't just for Israel. Though indeed, as the text says, it is the glory of Israel. See, Simeon announces Jesus' identity, and yet I don't know if he fully understood it. Because Jesus came not to liberate the Jewish people from Roman occupation and rule, but to liberate all people from sin's occupation and rule. See, Jesus' offer of salvation is a spiritual one. Humanity's deepest need is to be freed from the grip and rule of sin. And again, that's not abstract or theoretical. Consider this. We see Christians living in occupying lands under terrible governments today. And right now, I'm reading about a revival that is happening in Iran where Christians are being persecuted. Yet these Christians seem more alive and free than folks living in the so-called free world of the West. Why? Because they've been saved. They've been set free from sin's power and occupation over their lives. This is not abstract and, the and theoretical. And church, we need the reminder today that Jesus is still, through the power of his Holy Spirit, in the ministry of deliverance and freedom. My eyes have seen your salvation. I love the story of the healing of the paralytic in Mark chapter 2. You know, the one where, where, the, where the man's lowered through the roof by his friends. And Mark chapter 2, verse 5 says this, In Jesus seeing the faith of his friends, Jesus says to the man lying before him, and it's surprising. Here's what he says. My child, your sins are forgiven. Uh, I'm pretty sure he wants to be healed. <laughs> right? Right? The first thing Jesus says to him, My child, your sins are forgiven. Then Jesus asks, knowing that the crowd is thinking this, right? He says, he says, what is the bigger miracle? To forgive sins or take up your mat and walk? Then he says to the man, take up your mat and rock. And the man stands up and walks out of the room. Here's the point. Jesus cares about the physical. He wants to see people healed. He came to feed the hungry. He cares about justice. That's why we care about justice. Jesus cares about justice. That's why we're doing Advent Conspiracy, because Jesus cares about justice. Unjust governments are wrong and should be stood against. Yes, but the deepest need of humanity is spiritual healing. To be saved from sin. All people are paralyzed by the grip of sin. And Simeon announces that Jesus came to save, to rescue from death and darkness. And again, this is not abstract because we can testify how salvation changes lives. Church, the world wasn't ready for Jesus. 
And that's why I think Mary and Joseph's response is, 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 is perfect, right? The world was not ready. This news was bigger than expected. And verse 33 says this, Jesus' parents were what? They were amazed at what was being said about this baby. And I love what Simeon makes clear. The baby is salvation. See, salvation isn't about what? Huh? Salvation is a who. Jesus is salvation. Salvation isn't something you do. It isn't something you can work. You can't work hard enough to be saved. You can't do enough to be saved because salvation is knowing a person. Think of Israel's story. They were led out of slavery without a fight. They were led through the Red Sea without a boat. They watched the walls of Jericho fall by just simply walking around them. Did they do anything to earn or deserve this freedom? God did it. Simeon makes clear salvation isn't something you do, it's somebody you know. And again, church, maybe this morning this is no better time than ever to just simply put your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. This baby, this is salvation. This is the person that the world's been waiting for. And he came to save people like you and me. And so if that's you this morning, perhaps you've been trying to do enough or work at your salvation, I think what Simeon just wants to put into your ear is that salvation is a person. It's a who. And so I invite you to just simply put your faith in Jesus. And we would love to pray with you after. I would love to talk to you after. But you don't have to wait for that. You can just do it right now. Lord, I believe in you. I trust you. And I want your salvation done. Praise God. So here's Simeon announcing Jesus' identity. My eyes have seen your salvation prepared for all people. And now Simeon predicts the future. Simeon predicts what Jesus will do. And that's verses 34 to 35. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause the many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. That sums up Jesus' ministry. <laughs> many will rise and many will fall and many will oppose him. Verse 35, as a result, and he looked at Mary, a sword will pierce your very soul. And I'll invite the worship team forward as we conclude here. Church, I just want to finish with that last line. When Simeon looks at Mary after he's announced who Jesus was and now he's predicting the future and he looks very personally at Mary and says, a sword will pierce your very soul. This is the first cue that Jesus the Savior has entered a suffering and dark world and will indeed share in that suffering in order to save it. 
Simeon predicts a future that says salvation is gonna come through the cross. Mary will witness her son being mocked and abused and rejected and killed. Indeed, a sword will pierce your very soul. Church, the story of Mary and Joseph, it, it always fascinates me. Two teenagers that are called into a world-shaping and world-redefining event, an event that caused them to become social outsiders because their actions were looked upon with scandal. Traveling over 150 kilometers, they did, to Bethlehem, only to find themselves without lodging and homeless and very pregnant. If this baby is indeed the hope of the world, if indeed an angel announced the birth to them, if this was a miraculous conception, I wonder if Mary ever thought, would it be too much to provide me with a bed? <laughs> or at least some space away from that stinking donkey that I've been riding on for the last 150 kilometers. <laughs> right? <laughs> Ruthie, when my wife would be losing her mind. <laughs> You'd think that the hardship would end there for them, right? The baby's born, like angels and, and, and wise men are rejoicing. You know, it's all gonna be good now. Salvation is here. But then we meet Simeon and he says, more hardship is ahead. Before Jesus was two, Mary and Joseph became refugees as they fled a king who was killing firstborn babies. Somewhere between Jesus' 12th and 25th birthday, Joseph died and Mary became a widow. Then Mary watched her son move from popularity and respect and being hated to being hated. And eventually she witnesses what nobody wishes on anybody, the death of her kid. Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, and he says this, life can be understood backwards but life must be lived forward. If Mary got hindsight like us, I'm sure she could have seen the plan and maybe understood it, but she had to live forward. Which begs the question, what kept Mary moving forward? One line spoken to her before her son was born was this, do not fear Mary. God loves you dearly, and he is with you. Do not fear, Mary. God loves you dearly, and he is with you. Before Christmas became about anything, Christmas was about that simple promise. God with us. And for any of you here, you've lost someone. And you experience relational pain. And Christmas is the time of year when it really feels like somebody's just pressing on that wound. Why? Because Christmas is about with. And when, there, and when with is no longer there, it hurts. Life didn't go the way Mary had planned or expected. And I don't think I understand it. And I don't think I'll ever really fully understand it. But God's love and presence with Mary is all that she needed. 
She, she, she didn't need answers. She didn't need the hows and the whys. She just needed to know that no matter what, she was seen by Almighty God. That there was a greater plan and that God was with. See, Simeon's prediction here shows us that the hope of Christmas doesn't promise that life is always gonna make sense for you. Nor does it promise that there isn't gonna be difficulty and hardship ahead of you. In God's plan, hardship and difficulty is ahead of you. See, this hope doesn't give us answers to why things happen the way they do. It doesn't say cliche things like everything happens for a reason. Christmas simply says, God sees you. You are favored, Mary. God sees you. And God is with. A sword will pierce your very soul. And if that's you this morning, my prayer is simple that you may come to know and experience the God who is not absent from pain, but present in pain. The God who is not abstract, but personal. If nothing more, Jesus entered our world with the promise, I got more in store. And even when the sword pierces the soul, every Christian can look forward, knowing that better is always ahead for those who know this baby. Better is always ahead for those who know this baby. May it be so, church. May it be so. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to the E-Free Lethbridge podcast. We'll see you next week.